Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 18. Hear the word of our Lord Jesus. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. You may have a seat. Well, we started our sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount four months ago. And after 16 weeks, we're finally finished with Matthew chapter five. Uh, we will actually finish Matthew chapter six in two weeks. Can you believe that? It's true. I promise. Um, and we've, we've been, we have been challenged by Jesus. Jesus has some challenging things to say to us. And what we've experienced as we've looked at chapter five uh, in the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus elevating the conversation, Jesus inspiring the uninspired, Jesus showing and teaching his disciples what it looks like to live a life that is salt and light in the world that brings flavor and refreshment and guidance and direction. Jesus is elevating the conversation by taking these kind of hot topics of his day like adultery and divorce and lust and loving your enemies and talking about what it, what it means for his disciples to live an inspiring life that inspires the imaginations of others. And now as we arrive in Matthew chapter six, Jesus takes a shift. Some of you are like, thank you. I'm glad for that. It's still the Sermon on the Mount, uh, but Jesus shifts away from talking about these sort of external ethics to talking about sort of an interior spirituality. In fact, I would call Matthew chapter six 
uh, the chapter showing us the spirituality of Jesus, the spirituality of Jesus. Now, you might think that because he's not talking about externals anymore, that he stopped talking about what it looks like to live an inspiring life, what it looks like to be sought and light in the world. And that's not true uh, because I think today and next week, as we look at Matthew chapter six, you're going to see that that as we lean into the spirituality of Jesus, if we can learn to live this sort of life, then it truly will be a life that's so refreshing and good for you, for your own hearts, for your own souls. I so long for you to lean into this and experience this. But you'll also see that this is something that our world will find so attractive and compelling and inspiring. Because... You guys are all aware if you ever leave your house, which you do because you're here, if you ever turn on the TV, you're aware that our world is marked, I'm not very old, so let's take this with a grain of salt, but our world is marked more than ever by this sort of fretful anxiety. Am I right? This sort of chaotic and frenzied fear. And not a good fear that leads us to wisdom, but an anxious, burdensome fear. Um, Our world is marked not by stillness, but by chaos. We crave sensationalism and 24-7 entertainment. And if you're ever able to, like if the Lord ever graces you with this sort of thing, to to take a step back, to take a step back and just, just behold that sort of culture in which we find ourselves, you'll see that it's that it's crazy, it's crazy. And it's not good for your souls, it's killing your souls. And it's not a full-hearted way of life, it's hollow and empty. And what Jesus has to offer us here is none of those things. It's something of substance, like having substance in your core instead of being hollow, instead of living this sort of frenzied, anxious life, living a life marked by peace and faith. Instead of living chaotically, learning to live with stillness and with silence. What would it look like if we could learn to live as those sorts of disciples of Jesus? Like, maybe it's just me, but as I'm describing that, like, I just, I just, there's this breath of refreshment. I want that for myself. I want that for you. And I think our world would find that so attractive and compelling and inspiring. So with all that said, let's look at what Jesus has to say here in Matthew chapter 6. Spoiler alert, I'll tell you right off the bat the heart of what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 6, because he says it himself in verse 1. Verse 1, Jesus says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. The heart of what Jesus is saying is that he cares about your heart. He does care about what you do, but Jesus also cares about why you do what you do. Jesus cares about your motivations. And he doesn't want you to practice your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, in order to impress them. And what Jesus is doing in these 18 verses, um, there's a common sort of teaching technique in the world in which Jesus lived, the first century Jewish world, um, where a teacher would take a big idea a main point, a thesis, and then would use three examples that would be commonly understood by the people of his day in order to illustrate his point. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. So he's, he's, 
His point is, in your piety, in your personal piety, in your devotion, in your spiritual disciplines and practices, here's how you should go about it. And I'm gonna use these three pillars of piety that you guys understand and are aware of in order to illustrate what I'm trying to tell you. So there are three pillars of piety in the first century Jewish world, and we're gonna see this in more detail in a minute. Can you guess what they, what they were? They're the exact three pillars, they're the exact three things that Jesus uses here. Number one, almsgiving. Number two, prayer. And number three, fasting. These are disciplines that first century Jews all would have been aware of and all would have even participated in. So as we look at these 18 verses, I want to point out three things for you as we learn this sort of spirituality that Jesus wants us to experience. The first is, I want to point out an assumption that Jesus makes, an assumption that Jesus makes. Secondly, I want to show you a lie that Jesus exposes. And then finally, I want to show you the spirituality that Jesus offers First, Jesus makes an important assumption that I want to show you. There are lots of spiritual disciplines that disciples throughout the ages, uh, throughout the centuries have used in order to connect with God. Jesus uses these three. It's not an exhaustive list, um, and it's more about the heart of these disciplines than the disciplines in and of themselves. But Jesus says something very important as he's talking about these three pillars of Jewish piety. He says, every time he mentions one, he says, when you give, or when you pray, or when you fast. And here's the important assumption that may be challenging for many of us in our 21st century day. The assumption that Jesus is making is that his disciples will practice and participate in these sorts of spiritual disciplines. Do you see that Jesus doesn't say, if you give, if you ever feel like giving, if you ever feel like being generous, or if you ever pray, this is how you should do it, or if you ever fast, fasting, ugh, if you ever fast, this is how you should go about it. Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus assumes that these will be things that his disciples are not only familiar with as spectators, but that they're things that his disciples have actually participated in in their own lives. When you give, when you pray, when you fast. Jesus assumes, listen to this, Jesus assumes that his disciples will be spiritual people, devoted people who set up intentional practices and rhythms to connect with God devoted people who set up intentional practices and rhythms to connect with God. Is this true of your own life as a follower of Jesus? Jesus expects that his disciples will be generous people. When you give, when you give, this is what it should look like for my disciples. This was a pillar of Jewish piety. Consider the Old Testament. Our Old Testament is the scriptures for a Jewish person. The Hebrew Bible, our Old Testament. And the Old Testament is filled with verses that show us God's heart for uh, the financially poor, the marginalized, those without resources in the world. In fact, 
Israel's entire economic system was based on these sort of principles, that God cares about the marginalized person. Do you remember in Leviticus as God lays out the gleaning laws? Does anybody remember the gleaning laws? Kind of sound weird and foreign to us. Uh, As Americans, we want to be as efficient as possible. And God is telling his his people, intentionally be inefficient, which kind of sounds crazy to us, but it's what God does. Because he so loves the poor, He so loves the hungry. He so loves those who are in financial need that he tells his people, hey, as you're harvesting your crops, I want you to be inefficient and I want you to leave some so that others who are without can come behind you and they can have. They can have food. They can have resources. They can have things that they need to live in this world. Prayer was another pillar of Jewish piety. In fact, there are a couple verses um, This is foreign to many of us as Protestants in the 21st century, but the ancient Jews would actually pray at fixed hours throughout the day. They would pray psalms, and they would pray uh, these ancient liturgical written-down prayers. Look at these couple of verses. They'll be on the screen. From Psalm 55, the psalmist says, I call to God, and God will save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and God hears my voice. Evening morning and at noon, fixed hours. Daniel, in Daniel chapter six, it says that Daniel got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before God. Regular fixed times of prayer would have marked the Jewish life. Daily, yearly, these cycles of prayer. And then fasting was a regular weekly, can you, man, Fasting is hard. Has anybody ever done it? You don't have to raise your hand because then you're doing what Jesus tells you not to do here. It, man, it, it's challenging and it's tough. It's grueling. Uh, but for a first century Jew, they would have fasted two times every week, two times every week. And for them, like we think, fa- oh, I'm going to fast from Instagram, things like, no, for them, it's fasting from food, often food and water, food and drink. Um, look at this, this. Jesus is telling a parable in Luke chapter 18 And this is kind of woven subtly into the parable he tells. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus. This is when Jesus is comparing uh, the poor man who's beating his breast and the hypocritical Pharisee. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Jesus is speaking of this Pharisee very negatively, but what we see is this common cultural practice for first century Jews at the time to fast on Mondays and on Thursdays. And what Jesus says to his disciples is, I expect, I assume, that you likewise will participate in such spiritual practices in order to have a relationship with and in order to connect with the divine. But remember, that's an assumption Jesus makes, but that's not the primary point of this passage. There are countless other spiritual disciplines. Jesus is giving these three as an example, not necessarily about the disciplines themselves, but about the heart, what's going on underneath the surface behind these disciplines. So I want to show you a lie that Jesus exposes so brilliantly. This lie that you believe in your heart. Every single person And this lie says this. 
that I'm okay when other people are okay with me. I'm okay if other people are okay with me. And if other people aren't okay with me, then I'm not okay. And if other people are really good with me, like if they're really impressed with me, like if they think really highly of me, then I'm, I'm doing really good. Like I feel really good on the inside. And because we believe that lie in our heart, the life that we all live, we live as performers. Constantly trying to manipulate situations, constantly trying to act a certain way in order to control what others may think about you. Here's, here's something that I've become aware of myself as I perform in front of other people. You don't have to raise your hand, but I'm interested to know if any of you can relate to me on this. Or if I'm all, I might be all alone, and that's okay. So what I found is, so uh, let me just be honest with you all. I am not the most, like, um, up to speed on everything that's going on in our culture, right? Um, like someone asked me last night, they're trying to put, put together, like, a world-class trivia team, and they're looking for someone who's a pop culture buff. And I'm like, man, I am, I am not the person for you. Like, I'm not up on the trendiest shows on Netflix. I don't know all the actors in Hollywood. I haven't seen any of the latest movies. But many people that I hang out with are pop culture buffs, right? Like they stay up on the hottest things on Netflix and the trending movies and what's going on in Hollywood. And so what I found for myself is sometimes I'm in conversation with those people and they're talking about something like inside. I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. But on my outside, I'm just going along with it. Yeah, yeah, I've, yeah, I'm aware of it. Yeah, yeah, I know that person. Yeah, is anybody, anybody else? That's straight up performing, right? I want them to be impressed with me. I want to belong. I want to matter. Like, I want them to like me. And this, this comes from a new, like, not necessarily a bad place, this need that all of us have to belong and to matter. Um, a couple of days ago, I took my son Graham, he's almost three years old, I took him to his favorite place in Memphis, Chick-fil-A. Anybody else? And uh, it is a chaotic experience, but he loves it. Uh, and so we're, we finish our food, and we're playing on the playground, uh, and he kept saying over and over and over, he would go down the slide and he would say, Daddy, watch me. Daddy, watch me. Daddy, watch me. And, so, you know, I see you, Graham. I'm watching. And he'd say, no, stand right here and watch me. Daddy, watch me. I wish I would have counted. He probably said it a hundred times. And he has this very real need, this very good and innocent and pure need to be seen and to be acknowledged. He needs to know that he matters to me. Like, Graham, I see you, and I value you, and I I'll, love I'll spending time with you. I see you going down that slide. You're doing such a good job, right? He needs to know that he belongs with me as my son. He needs to know that he matters to me. He needs to know that I see him. But where this becomes sick and twisted is when we learn throughout our lives that we have to this lie that says we have to manipulate and perform in order to belong and matter. And what's really sick, and what I think Jesus is getting at in this passage, is that we carry that into our spiritual lives 
as well. If you are a Christian, most likely for you, the church, your Christianity, your spirituality, your relationship with Jesus has oftentimes become simply another place where you can perform. And isn't that sad? Isn't that sick? If, like, just, like, think about why you got into this thing to begin with. Like, the, the reason that you reached out to Jesus as he was reaching out to you is because you realized about yourself, like, I can't perform. I need somebody outside of myself. And what you found in the person of Jesus is someone who embraced you as you are. But now, as you've matured in your faith, you somehow believe that in your Christian faith, just like every other arena in your life, this is just another place where you have to perform in order to belong. And I don't think, I don't think any of us are exempt from this. In fact, quotation marks around this, professional Christians, pastors, this is one of the deepest and darkest diseases of people who stand on this stage. Right now, all around the country and all around the world, people who are performing in order to matter, in order to find value in other people, in order to impress people. But Jesus in this passage, I want to show you this pattern that he brings out as he teaches that is so sweet and refreshing and freeing. Um, so remember, remember in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is actually preaching this sermon. Like he's actually speaking it to people who are listening. So as you study it, one thing that you can do is, is look for things like repetition. Because when I'm speaking, I can't necessarily like bold something or underline something or use exclamation marks. It's, it's just my words. And so the ways teachers in the first century and all throughout human history would emphasize points as they're teaching verbally is by repeating things. And that's exactly what Jesus does here in this passage. And I want to show you this pattern that he repeats. And he does so intentionally because he so wants you to pick up on it. This is the key to this passage. So let me show you this pattern. He says this three times, once in each of these three examples. He says, when you blank... When you give, when you pray, when you fast, when you, whatever it is that you're doing, don't be like the hypocrites who do it this way. They sound their trumpet so that others may see how generous they're being, or they pray with um, loud and gaudy words so that other people will be impressed with them, or they disfigure their faces so people will see like, man, you are super holy after that 40-day fast. Like, you're looking pretty rough, brother. You're a holy man. That's how the hypocrites go about things. Don't be like the hypocrites who do things this way, that they may be seen by others. That's the motivation. We want others to see us. We want to matter. We want to belong. We want others to be impressed with us. We have to perform. We have to put on this act so that others will be okay with us. For they have received their reward. They have received their reward. Pause if that's you, and I think that's, I don't know if this is too bold of a claim, I, th I think that's most of humanity. If that's you, then you have received your reward. Like, do you ever ask yourself the question, like, is this it? Like, is this all there is to it? Like, if this is the way that you're functioning in your heart, 
the very sad answer is yes. Like, this is it. Like, you've hit your ceiling. You've received your reward. Especially to the Pharisees in the first century. Like, congratulations. You look really holy, and other people see you, and they're impressed with you. Congrats. You've received your reward. But listen to the second half of this pattern. Jesus uses some of the same language, but says it in a a significantly different way. But when you blank, so transition, but when you give or pray or fast or read your Bible or show up for corporate worship or participate in the sacraments, but when you do these things, do it in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, what I don't think Jesus means is that there's no place for um, public expressions of your faith. I don't think Jesus means that. Like, I think it's good when we gather together and pray together, when we participate in the sacraments together. Jesus himself, there are records in the Gospels of him praying some deeply emotionally intimate prayers to his father, and other people must be around him kind of looking on and watching him. But I think for Jesus, the point is, what's your heart behind those spiritual practices that you do? Is it to impress others? Or is it in secret? Not for the benefit of others, but in secret. And then what Jesus says that's so freeing is that your father who sees in secret will reward you. All of us, all of us, listen to this, all of us are like little Graham, my little boy. And we all deep within our souls, in the deepest depths of our heart, we're crying out, God, do you see me? Even people who don't use those words, even people who don't acknowledge God, I believe every human being is crying out to be seen by the divine. And I don't think it's an accident that in Matthew chapter six, Jesus refers to God as father more than any time else in all of the book of Matthew, exponentially more than anywhere else in the entire book of Matthew. And what Jesus is telling you is that when you do these things in secret, you have a father who sees in secret, and he sees you. Do you get the magnitude of that? You're like a little kid crying out, watch me. Do you see me? Do I matter? Do I belong? And you have a father, a divine father, a God who looks down and who sees you. And you matter. You belong. You have value. You have worth. And here's the beautiful thing about it. There's nothing you have to do to prove yourself. You can stop performing and you can simply be. Your father sees in secret and he sees you. Watch me, daddy. Do you see me? Do you see me, daddy? Yes, God sees you. The divine sees you. So Thursday, um, this week, Thursday evening, I, uh, I had the opportunity to, um, to teach at Downline, which is a local ministry that uh, we love at Christ City. Many of you 
are or have participated in Downline in the past, and it was a really busy week for me. And Thursday afternoon, um, I was in our office, our church office alone, and I was just, I was feeling a lot of anxiety. I was feeling overwhelmed. I felt underprepared. And what I found going on in my heart is, like, man, I don't have anything worth value to say here. Um, I was thinking about all these other teachers that, that go and um, teach at Downline, and I'm like, man, like, who am I? I don't measure up. Like, I don't have anything of worth here. Um, and so, in secret and quiet, this passage, I was preparing to preach it, and it was, it was kind of in the back of my heart and head. And I said out loud, I said, Father, you see me. You see me. And that made all the difference. Because in that moment, I'm, I was just trying to impress people, right? I was just trying to perform I was just trying to do things in order to have people validate me and affirm me and tell me that I have value. And what my heart needed is to know, like, I have a father who sees me and who loves me, and I do matter to him. And now the last thing that I want you to see is I want to help connect the dots to help you see how this is so significantly important for your own soul and for our world around us. Um, So this spirituality that Jesus is offering you. If you can imagine with me the sort of person that like lives this way, the sort of person that knows this like deep down in their bones and in their heart, like my father sees me, and he loves me, and I don't have to do anything today to prove my worth to him. I have a father who sees me. Like the sort of people who live this way every single day of their lives. Can you imagine those sorts of people? Like humble and not hypocritical. Um, Peaceful and not anxious. Still and not frenzied. Um, So let me connect this to our Christian life today. It's going to We'll connect the dots. We're going to have to take a roundabout and we'll, we'll come back, okay? So there's this, um, the last, uh, I'm not like a sociologist, so I'm, I could be wrong here, but I think the last 60 or 70 years, uh, Christianity in the West has been marked by epic experiences. Like, has anybody in here ever been to youth camp? Me? Yeah? Uh, our Christian journey is marked by these mountaintop spiritual highs, right? There's usually uh, a band that's really loud that sounds like they've listened to a lot of U2 and they're trying a little bit too hard. Sometimes there's smoke and lights. I didn't have this growing up, but maybe some of y'all, maybe Robin did. Maybe there's even like fire, right? Acquire the fire. Um, And this is normative for us. Like this is our Christian experience. We move from epic experience to epic experience, from summer camp to summer camp, or now that we're a little bit older, to Sunday morning service to Sunday morning service to Sunday morning service, just looking for a shot in the arm in order to have the energy we think we need for the week in front of us. Here's what Eugene Peterson says about this kind of um, 
way of going about life that we go about now. This is what Eugene Peterson says. We go to see a new personality, to hear a new truth, or to get a new experience, and somehow to expand our otherwise humdrum life. Life is so boring. Life is so routine. Life is so mundane. We crave sensationalism, and we brought that craving into our Christian faith as well. So Sunday morning, these mountaintop highs, like those are the things that mark our Christian faith. And I don't want to totally criticize those because some of those things may be were very formative in your life. Um, that's true for me as well. But here's the tragedy that's happened because of that. Because of that, Christianity seems, it feels, increasingly irrelevant to our ordinary, everyday lives. Do you, do you get that? Because like those sorts of things, those sorts of things aren't real life. Like they happen once a year or twice a year. Maybe every few Sundays there's some sort of epic experience. But those sorts of experiences aren't real life. Real life is marked by the mundane and the mon mon monotonous and the ordinary and the boring. Real life is struggling every morning to get your kids up and to get them out the door to school on time 180 times a year. Real life is doing the most ordinary things like brushing your teeth over 50,000 times in your life, hopefully. Maybe. Real life is like just sitting in traffic every day for 40 or so hours a year being stuck on Poplar near Mendenhall in East Memphis at 4.30. Tim's there, he, he makes that drive. That's real life. And so the question is like, how does, how does God connect to that? If God is only in these epic experiences, like where is he in my real life? Let me read you this quote. It's from this book, let me recommend this book, uh, this book by Tish Harrison Warren. It's called Liturgy of the Ordinary. My wife, Laura, read it a few weeks ago. I picked it up and read it last week because she read it and she told me that this is the most life-changing book that I've read in a very long time. And if you know Laura and me, you know that like, it's not that uncommon or unusual for me to make a really bold, exaggerated claim. Like, take everything I say with a grain of salt. Um, but my wife, like she means what she says and she says what she means. So for her to, like I say that about the last, every book that I read for about a week and then I'm reading the next book. For Laura, like if she says that, she means it. She said, this is the most life-changing book that I've read in a long time, Liturgy of the Ordinary. Um, we have several copies of the book table. Uh, so I'd love for y'all to grab a copy. Let me read you what she says in this book. One thing she says. Uh, she quotes Alfred Hitchcock. And Tish says that Alfred Hitchcock said that movies are like life with the dull bits cut out. Car chases and first kisses, interesting plot lines and good conversations. We don't want to watch our lead character going on a walk, stuck in traffic, or brushing his teeth, at least not for very long, and not without a good soundtrack. Movies are life with the dull parts cut out. Many of us tend to want a Christian life like that as well. 
a Christian life with the dull bits cut out. But I think if you are living from epic experience to epic experience, then you're going to miss transformation that God has in your life. Dallas Willard, I think, is right when he says that transformation, transformation is actually carried out in real life, real life where we dwell with God and with our neighbors. So how in the world does this connect to Matthew 6? Here's how. Because you have a God who sees you and you matter to him. And he sees you not only in the epic experiences that we sometimes do by his grace get to participate in, and it's a beautiful and sweet thing, and we're glad for that. He sees you in those moments, but he also sees you in the routine, ordinary, mundane moments in your life. When you're wiped and you're completely out of energy because your kids require so much of you, when you're struggling, to wake up because today's just going to look exactly like the day before and the day before that and the day before that and the day before that. How are we going to get the kids to school on time when you're brushing your teeth in front of your mirror when you just woke up and you haven't yet brushed your teeth, you haven't yet showered? God sees you in that moment, in your least put together moment, and he loves you there. You have a father who sees you in secret And I think if we learn to live this sort of way, like we'll be disciples of Jesus who like drink from the well of transformation. And I want that for you. I want you to experience transformation that happens in very real and ordinary life with a father who sees you in secret. But I also think that our world will be so compelled and our world needs, they deeply need to see people who are living as these sort of robust disciples of Jesus Christ. So let me close by praying for that over you, over us. Let's pray. Lord, it's so freeing to know that we don't have to impress other people. In fact, if we are, we're stunting ourselves. We're not experiencing the fullest of life that you have for us. And I know that many people in the room, even right now, are worried about what other people might think, and they're performing, and they're finding themselves on this wheel again and again. So, Lord, would you free us from that? Free us from performing And free us from performing by helping us to believe deep down in our hearts, helping us to know, not just intellectually, but in the deepest parts of ourselves, that you see us. And as that sinks deep down into our soul, I pray that we would be people of substance, that we wouldn't be hollow people, that when others in our world brush up against us, They would meet real people who have a real core about themselves, who have a real heart, who aren't shallow, who aren't hollow, because we don't have anything anything to perform. We don't have to impress you. You love us as we are. I pray that this would connect to every part of our lives, that we would be disciples of Jesus who know you 
and that we would be disciples of Jesus who are deeply known by you. Weave that into our souls even now as we come to the table to interact with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.